Hello, my self-improvement people. It is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. Are you ready to learn? Put your thinking cap on and prepare to have an open mind because it's time for a self-improvement sit-down. Instead of the usual two-minute tips I share every weekday, in the self-improvement sit-downs, I have the opportunity to spend a little longer talking about difficult topics with absolute experts, leaders in their field, and cover concepts that can't possibly be covered in two minutes. If you like the two-minute tips, don't be alarmed. They're coming back tomorrow. But this is one I think you're really going to enjoy. Without further ado, let's jump into the interview. This is self-improvement sit-down number 39 with Commander Mark Devine. And we are live. Today's guest is Commander Mark Devine. Mark serves 20 years in the U.S. military as a Navy SEAL, both on active duty and as a reserve. Navy SEALs are known for being some of the toughest people on the planet, and Mark endured and overcame major physical and emotional challenges by pairing incredible mental toughness with spirituality. Mark is a best-selling author writing books titled Way of the Seal, Staring Down the Wolf, and Unbeatable Mind. He's also the founder of Seal Fit, which simulates the Navy SEAL Hell Week and helps people strengthen their mind and body to elite levels. Commander, thank you for being here today. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah, hey, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. I appreciate it. I I think a fitting place to start is to have a conversation about leadership. Many, among many Mm -hmm. things, something that the military does an exceptional job of is creating litters and instilling good leadership qualities. Could you tell us a little bit about what you've learned to be true in your experience about leadership across all of its different forms? Wow. How long is this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) It is ironic um, that I was actually in a doctoral leadership program at USD. I was getting my PhD in leadership when I was recalled to active duty to go to Iraq. Basically, I was pulled out of the ivory tower of academia to go to war. You couldn't imagine two different, you know, environments. And um, I had a lot of time to reflect on leadership when I was in combat and over there and the cultural differences and also, you know, the many faces of leadership. And I reflected upon my doctoral studies. I'm like, what, you know, what was that all about? Like, because I certainly didn't see any leadership being displayed in that institution, <laughs> all due respect to USD, certainly wasn't the kind of leadership that I was used to or, mm-hmm. or valued, right? It was a lot of gamesmanship and posturing and my professors were adept at what I call particularizing, which means that they were able to slice and dice a pretty simple concept into something that became completely not understandable by the average human being. <laughs> and they felt good about that, right? They they thought that was their job, to, con- to confuse things as opposed to simplify them by making them more and more complex and naming things in smaller and smaller details without any appreciation for the actual essence of what the underlying principle was about, which is leading. So what is leading about? It's essentially this notion that two or more individuals come together to accomplish something worthy, like in the SEALs, that was a mission. And in that relationship, right, someone often, not always, but often is in charge. That could be like a a positional leader or a rank, or someone might happen to have an expertise 
because they, of their experience or, or education or failures. And so then they might take some sort of kind of expertise leadership role. Um, someone might have some sort of influence depending upon their character, right? Their character traits. And so that individual might be an influential leader um, or transformational leader or something like that. And someone might actually be operating at a much lower level and have some sway over the individuals transactionally, right? Mm. And so they become more of a transactional. And all of these can coexist at the same time. And so it's ironic, like if you aspire to be a leader, it's important to understand the many faces of leadership, the many characteristic qualities of leadership. So leadership is such an intensely broad concept, mm-hmm. right? It's a bucket for many, many different human behaviors and types of relating and getting things done. And so I understood that, you know, in the academic institution, maybe there was an attempt to understand it, but there was no attempt, to, again, to really live it. And so that's kind of my, if you want my simplest answer to leadership, it's not understanding the principles, it's being able to live authentically so that when any one of those human traits arises in a team relationship, you're able to adeptly navigate it, Hmm. navigate the situation and bring out the best in everybody. Because every human being, you know, has their best side and their worst side, their, their genius and their abject, you know, flaws as humans, they all come out under pressure, even the leader, right? In fact, my book, Staring Down the Wolf, is about how the leaders often become the limiting factor with their teams because they bring their shadow into the relationship just like everyone else, yet they're they're projecting some air of perfection or power or, Mm. you know, sense of having things under control when they absolutely don't. And so effective leadership, in a sense, in a word, if I were to like distill it to a word is authenticity. Mm-hmm. And to me, authenticity means just, just be your full and truest self when you show up at the team, including be willing to admit all your failures and lead with what you don't know instead of what you do know and, and not taking all the credit, you know, being truly humble in that we're in this together to get, we're going to solve this. I might happen to be the leader today, but you can fire me in the next moment if you want, just by ignoring me or mentally checking out, right? Mm-hmm. So if they're blabbing to your team as a leader and everyone's mentally checked out and thinking, what a jerk, then they've fired you, right? right? So, but if you come in and say, you know what? This is a really hard problem. This, this COVID-19 has stopped me in my track. I don't really know where to go. Let's figure this out together, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to coming in, pretending you have the answers and yet you're all stressed out and out of whack and not taking care of yourself. And you're not showing up fully as your authentic human being. So I know I just said a whole lot there, but leadership is not studying human behavior. It is practicing authenticity and being aware of both the the best and the worst of human behavior so you can navigate it gracefully in a team environment. Wow. Yeah, no, I I appreciate that angle to it. And, And something that I think I overlooked about leadership and what you referenced is, yes, it's around a team, but a team doesn't need to be the conventional definition of a team, which is you know, Definitely. many, many people coming together, a relationship is a team. If a two people are That's coming right. together for a common objective. And I think that that allows all of us to really internalize what it means to be a leader, because in all of our interactions with others, we show up as a leader. And, and that's why, you know, your point on authenticity and then elaborating into vulnerability, it makes a lot of sense because then you can allow people to connect at that level 
in order to understand the mutual value people have to offer to accomplish that shared goal. So there's, that's right. There's an incredible amount of power that comes from recognizing that we are leaders in everything that we do. It's not that leaders are chosen. We are all leaders right. and it's, it's how we choose to show up as a leader in that. I agree. And, and, and maybe, you, yeah, go ahead. There's another layer to this is when you choose that, when you acknowledge what you just said to be the truth, then even in your relationship with yourself, you're a leader. Mm because we really have two aspects of ourselves, right? We have our ego driven kind of little self mm -hmm. that's, that's drawn to desirous things and repelled by suffering and pain and, you know, um, and likes to play the victim and tends to be programmed in a negative way mm -hmm. and loves drama, right? This is 85% of humanity is captivated, captured, enamored with this aspect of themselves because they don't know the other aspect which is which is the higher or more spiritually grounded self which is always watching you know you could call it your conscious which is always saying you know what brian you know that's probably not such a good idea but then your ego says i'm going to do it anyways mm -hmm. leadership of the self which i call self mastery in my program unbeatable mind really is to constantly turn toward that higher self and, and to shake hands with it and be like, yeah, I, I put you in charge today. Mm -hmm. You know what? And, and, and with you in charge together, we are going to get better results. So mm -hmm. you're letting your higher self lead your, your lower ego self toward the light and away from darkness, let's just say. Right. No, that's, I, I would, we're going to touch on that kind of this idea of self mastery, because there's an element of discipline and mental toughness and kind of organization that comes with that. And absolutely, let's, let's touch sure. on that. But first with that conversation about the ego versus the higher self, even what you mentioned about the leader being the limiting factor toward a team's effectiveness, that limit is, is driven by the ego and the needs of that leader to satisfy the ego. So again, kind of That's right. understanding the okay. self mastery and how you can separate the ego from the team and your role as a leader allows you to be more of that expert that is vulnerable and authentic with your team. So I love how those right. two topics connect and maybe because I know leadership is such a broad topic, but something that I'm really inspired by you within, and it's actually your goal, which is to influence 100 million people to be world centric servants and leaders. I'd love mm -hmm. to understand because that's a, that's a more narrow kind of window about what it means to be a leader. Now we're talking about world centric. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us, what you, what you mean and what you hope for others to discover when it comes to being a world-centric leader specifically. Of course. Well, we're talking about the ego and the spirit and they coexist, right? You never, you know, the old kind of Japanese Zen concept that you kill the ego is absolutely false. If you kill the ego, you disappear as a human being, right? Mm. You become like a zombie. Ego is absolutely necessary. It's just your personality. But attachment to the stories and the itness, the things of that personality is what really is problematic. And so we say through discipline, taming the ego, you know, what we're really saying is, is detaching from the stories and, and the desires and the attraction that we're always grasping for. And releasing the grasp or the grab and then turning inward toward that spiritual self, which then clarifies your personality. So you're letting more goodness shine through. You know, my, I have this belief that we're, we're born with all the qualities of a Buddha or a Jesus. It's just they're obscured through the negative conditioning. And so we don't actually have to 
be good. We just are good, but we're held back or, or crusted over with all that negative conditioning, which might be multi-generational. In fact, yeah. it is. And it's taught and inherited and it comes in all these different forms. Absolutely. That's right. So our main work as leaders is to recognize that we'll call that awakening, wake up to this idea, this notion, this reality that you are so much more than those thoughts and those, the drama that's being played out in your life. And then to clean up the shadow, clean up the, the crud, all the negative conditioning, the reactionary behavior, or the projections, the perfectionism, the righteousness, the judgmentalism, clean all that shit up. So as a leader, to lead without any of that is the highest order of leadership, right? Mm. Now, as you embark on this path, which is a choice, right? First, the choice is to turn toward spirit and recognize the stories of the ego for what they are and to not be caught up in them, to detach from them. And then from that perspective, to begin to grow into the fullest version of yourself possible, which is to clear up all the negative conditioning and to continue the process of identifying with spirit and with goodness, right? And so what happens then is more and more goodness, more and more positive energy. And, you know, even at a kind of a, 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 an energetic level, more and more positive vibrations begin to occur in your body, in your life. And you begin to, of course, through the law of attraction, you attract positive things to you. Absolutely. And then that becomes a self-reinforcing upward spiral of both success, peacefulness, happiness, goodness. And what happens through this process then is you grow beyond the ego and you expand your inclusiveness. So deeply ego-stricken people are really limited in their sphere of inclusion. You know, it might be like immediate family or your block or your gang, you know, you're, you're really close in. Everyone else is an outsider, right? An outlander. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to denigrate them or even kill them in the, in the worst of colors. And then as you grow beyond that and become more inclusive because you're taming the ego, then we'll call that ethnocentrism. Then your, your sense of tribe expands, right? So you, your mm -hmm. tribe might then include your country, USA, you know, American exceptionalism, that's still ego, but it's ethnocentric egoism. And then as you grow further, because you're, you're practicing goodness, you're letting more light in, you're eradicating more and more shadow, um, clearing up your biases and your judgmentalism, then you move toward even greater inclusion until you include all of humanity, all sentient beings in your sphere of care and concern. Mm. Meaning when you look across the world, you don't see, uh, you know, xenophobic Chinese who wants to steal your intellectual property or who's going to attack you someday. You see a fellow human being who has the wow. same aspirations and desires and dreams as you do. They just have slightly different, you know, characteristics. Mm -hmm. and, um, and you care deeply for them and you appreciate the differences. You honor their differences. And at the same time, you know, if there's evil being done or if there's, you know, if one of these humans that you have deep care and concern happens to be a terrorist because they believe in their things and they want to kill you, I'm not saying you just roll over and let them, no, or harm your family or your country. No, you deal with it in an appropriate manner, mm. right? Because evil will exist in the world. But I'm saying you, your sphere as a leader extends to all humanity and the environment, Mother Earth, right? Gaia. 
as almost an individual that needs care and concern because we're in a you know in an absolute intricate relationship of interdependence with all animals all you know plants and beings all materials of mother earth you know mm-hmm. water earth air you know you know anyways i don't want to go down that rabbit hole because it'd be too easy but that's the <laughs> world-centric theater is the outcome of integration of growth of integrating the ego of of letting go of all the vestiges of us versus them or me versus the world letting go of all victimhood opening up to the vast potential that you have and the interconnectedness of all humanity and ending separation and when you become when you stabilize at that level and and trust me it is a stage of development right and it's been mapped out not in the words that i've been talking about but it's mapped out by developmental psychology and spiritual traditions integral theory spiral dynamics and whatnot this stage um which is called integral or spiritual, uh, has that world-centric, inclusive, caring, concern quality to it. It's a stage of development that as leaders, we, we need to grow to and then stabilize in. Mm-hmm. And from there, you can take the vast or the broadest perspective of leadership possible, where you can you can meet everybody where they're at without denigrating them, without demeaning them, right? And you are able to pull out the best in them for solutions that are multidimensional, uh, have far fewer uh, second, third order consequences and are, you know, those like quadruple wins, you know? Good yeah. for me, good for you, good for the environment, good for humanity. I, I think that last point is something that I've been thinking a lot about personally in terms of the, the win, 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 win potential of this world, you know, just because something benefits you doesn't mean it can't benefit others. In fact, when it comes to service and, you know, kind of part of your definition is world centric servants and leaders. And I feel like through self mastery, you become the servant because you're willing to receive and help and aid those who need it. But I feel like there's this, this interesting relationship when it comes to service specifically, which is that, even if you are attributed for doing something for the wrong reasons, like, oh, you are of service and people are like, oh, you're doing it for the wrong reasons. You're doing it for the ego. You're doing it for yourself. Let's, um, let's just think about the benefit that is coming from your decision to act. So even if the motive is to serve the self, the byproduct is a win for others because it's in the name of service. And I think that's right. kind of, there's a way. Ideal, we- ideally, you'd have both, right? Absolutely. Your motive would be of service. And you know, so the win-win is... I agree with what you said, but ideally, as you grow, you find ways to serve beyond ego mm-hmm. that are a win for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's because you have to, to undergo this work of self-mastery in order to, to control right. the ego and to direct the ego right. because it's, yeah, like you said, it's not going anywhere and it's fundamental. It's very important because it's, right. yeah, it is the essence of who we are uniquely, but ultimately- right when it comes to interconnectedness that that's something that stands out with me too because world centric involves connecting kind of the different regions of the world like you talk about human nature but nature is inside each and every one of us as well so let's recognize that nature and see ourselves as no different than those other people and again that takes this separation from the ego in order to to, to acknowledge that yeah i think we share the view that there's no governmental body either within this country or any other country or international consortium 
like the United Nations that's going to solve even the simplest of the complex problems that we have in this world today. Mm -hmm. Going to be through the collective effort of hundreds of millions or eventually a billion individuals who think and talk and believe the way that we're talking right now. Yes, sir. Organizations (laughs) or, you know, entrepreneurs like you who can then create organizations that can leverage larger and larger numbers of people in a mission um, to help the world, then, then you're going to get some leverage. And so we can get to that billion fairly quickly. If we had a million of Mark and Brian's out there who are creating organizations <laughs> that have a world centric uh, mission and create world centric impact and, and develop world centric leaders within the organization and speak to world centric customers so that you even, even the relationship with your clients and customers is transformational. It helps them evolve mm-hmm. to a higher place and think clearly about their future and their reality. True Absolutely. Reality. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading that's conscious capitalism right now. And, and that's fundamental yeah. to it is who are all the stakeholders. And yeah, that's something that I'm right. integrating right now. And again, yeah, sure. If there's more Mark and Brian's, it's like, yeah, these world centric leaders that are connecting with other world centric people, but make everyone feel celebrated and acknowledged and contributing toward um, what, what they have within that larger scope of it as well. And, and again, you can only connect with those people when you see yourself as a leader in that individual relationship, which requires you to be authentic and vulnerable to connect with that individual. You just need to amplify that and scale that as much as possible, either on an organizational level right. or on an interpersonal level, which is, right. is, is crazy. So when it, when it comes to self-mastery and, and, then, because self-mastery ties into this, um, right. and, and this is kind of where mon- mental toughness and discipline also, I think, ties into this kind of ego management is how do you feed the wolf of courage rather than the wolf of fear, right? You know, that's very central to your book, Staring Down the Wolf. And, right. and I think that's such an interesting lesson because again, talking about that 85% ego and that, you know, 15% higher self in this battle that we're constantly interfacing with, you know, which wolf do we feed? Which value within ourselves do we want to support? You know, that's a, that's a very kind of day-to-day practical, tactical um, decision that we need to make. Sure. And I'd love for you to share a little bit more about how, you know, that, that act, that disciplined action kind of is, is one way to prepare the ego in order to kind of step into the, yeah. the fullest expression of our leadership. I love the question. So first of all, let me, for those who I'm sure everyone's aware of it, that, that story of the two wolves comes from Native American mm-hmm. uh, kind of folklore. And, um, the grandfather's talking to the grandkid about the wolves that vie for the attention and that they exist within us. And the wolf of fear resides in your brain and the wolf of courage resides in your heart. And um, they're in constant battle. And the, the grandkid looks at grandfather and said, well, which one wins? And the grandfather says, well, the, the wolf that you feed the most. So feeding fear is what you do when you wake up in the morning and you look at Facebook and you see what Facebook wants you to see because you know they're trying to control your attention and they're feeding you images of perfection and suddenly you fear that you're not perfect. And they're feeding you images of chaos in the streets and suddenly you fear for your safety and your security. And they're feeding you images of, uh, you know, name your candidate destroying the world or the opposite candidate you know, in in a political spectrum, destroying the world or, you know, taking away your freedoms and you're feeding the fear wolf. So 
how do you feed the courage wolf first starve fear mm. i haven't i haven't looked at facebook in 20 years i probably hadn't been around for 20 years but i just don't do it i don't read the news and i haven't had tv in my house for over 20 years so first you starve fear by shutting off the sources of fear you you got negative people in your life if you can't eject them then you put a mental barrier around you so that every word that they say that's biting or piercing or negative or gossipy just bounces right off you you don't accept it you don't let it in some wise person once said that if someone gives you a gift and you refuse to accept it to whom does it belong right mm -hmm. so that individual is left holding their negative crap they want to get rid of their negativity by giving it to you that's all they know how to do but the problem is every time they do that they leave a carbon copy on themselves and if you refuse to accept it, they actually get two copies. They get the copy they wanted to give you and they got the copy that they were left with. And now they got double the energy. So let them stew in their negativity. Maybe it'll help them break through, but don't accept it. Don't bring it on. Hmm. That's a real simple practice. So that's step one, starve the fear. And, you know, neuroscience is now telling us that the brain is hardwired for fear and negativity. It's five times as negative as it is positive. And that's because of our limbic brain, you know, that we're wired for survival. And so as soon as any kind of external trigger or stressor comes in, it's immediately sniffed for good or bad. And usually it's bad, even if it's not bad, it's just is. And then we, we, then we go into the fight or flight response and then that triggers negative thinking, fear-based thinking. And then these become obsessive loops and put, people are caught in them all the time. So we got to cut that shit off, starve fear. And then... You got to deliberately feed courage. Now, this is new for a lot of people because like, how do you, how do you feed the heart? You know, the spiritual heart, the emotional heart. How do you open that up? Right. It's been taught to be shut down, right? We're individualists. We got to protect ourselves against harm. We were taught, you know, especially my age, we're, you know, we're literally you know, the belt or the hand was used, right, through discipline, and that shuts the heart down. And so then we got to work really hard to feed the heart. And you do that through a practice of what I call feeding the courage wolf. Instead of turning on the Facebook feed, checking your email, looking at what happened in the world, when you wake up in the morning, you immediately practice gratitude. And you immediately begin to breathe deeply in, in a practice I call box breathing. And every breath, you're drawing in positive energy, light, love into your heart center, and it's expanding throughout your body. And every exhale, you're exhaling any kind of negativity, any fear, anything that doesn't belong. These two practices, right, you can do together. Inhale, light, love, energy. See it going into your heart, expanding throughout your body. Hold your breath for a few moments. So I do five by five by five by five. That's the box pattern. Inhale for a five count. Inhale all that light and goodness. Hold your breath. And when I hold your breath, I'm grateful mm -hmm. for Mother Earth. Exhale. Hold your breath. I'm grateful for Mother Earth. And then inhale all that light love. Bring it to your heart. I'm grateful for my parents. And just reflect on them. All that mm -hmm. gratitude and all the things they brought into your life. You know, you they brought you in your life. They, you know, all the amazing things instead of being a victim to whatever things they didn't do, right? Just appreciate them. Exhale, hold your breath. I'm grateful for my parents, right? Rinse, repeat for 20 rounds or 20 minutes. I do every morning. Mm -hmm. What a, it's a profound practice, Brian. It's just so simple, 
something that just kind of came upon. And there's other aspects to it, right? That then go into the mental development and visualization that I do toward the end of that practice. But the beginning, the feeding the courage wolf is starting your day by, by ensuring that the negative has no inlet. It's blocked. And then you keep that, you keep that negativity at bay all day long. It's your constant awareness of, of the energetic state of the people around you and what information you're letting in. And then you start your day by winning in your heart and your mind with positivity, gratitude, and, you know, a self-concept that is awesome instead of limiting. And I knew that leading my team and buds when I got there, I needed to lead with courage and help them be courageous. And so I brought these practices in. I brought deep breathing. I brought feeding the courage wolf, positive self-dialogue and positive team dialogue, always motivating each other. Whenever someone got down, which in other teams became a quit moment, sometimes the entire boat crew would quit because the strongest perceived individuals quit. And everyone looked at him and said, wow, if that guy can't do it, there's no way I can do this. Whereas with our boat crew, we were always telling each other, we got this. Oh, this isn't hard. It's a piece mm -hmm. of cake, right? We're getting stronger every day. That which doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Pain is weakness leaving the body. Embrace the suck. We got this. Easy day. Hoo-yah. And then my internal mantra was, I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. I ought to be in Hollywood. I'm feeling <laughs> I would say it literally thousands of times a day in my mind while I was getting punished. <laughs> and I graduated number one in my class. We had, we had 185 students. I was number one graduate. 19 of us out of the 185 graduated. And seven of the 19 were my boat crew. That's never been done Incredible. before and it's never happened since then. But it's all these principles we're talking about. Simple, mm -hmm. but not easy because you got to practice them. This is where the discipline of self-mastery comes in. It's like, you want to be a good person, practice being a good person every day. It's incredible. I mean, it's an incredible feat. It's incredible how, again, as a leader, you showed up abundantly and said, hey, this isn't just about me and my crew. Like, this is our unit and you guys are influencing me. Right. I'm influencing you. Let's do this together. So that's right. leadership in itself. And you're even touching on, you know, some of the different pillars within the unbeatable mind, which is, you know, you talk about breath mm -hmm. control and physiological control, but you also alluded to like visualization, you know, like that focused visualization mm -hmm. of the result you want to create. Even mentioned a little bit of like <laughs> holding an image of success during action, which yeah. is a philosophy you share. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that. I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. I ought to be in Hollywood. Like that's exactly what you're doing is like, hey, that's, that's me, you know, picturing my success at the end of this, which is incredible. That's right. There's an image. There's an emotional state. There's an energetic state. There's a posture associated. Anytime mm -hmm. I would say that, those, that version of me would just suddenly be like remembered and comes back into me, right? Right. It's always there, but I might have been just subtly about to live out a different version of myself, which could be a little bit fear-based or, sure. you know what I mean? Especially in something as intense as SEAL training where they're always trying to get under your skin and make you feel weak. Right. right? And that's, that's mental toughness is you being able it's to choose the way you perceive all of that. That's right. Um, Exactly. Yeah, which no, which is all fantastic. I've actually incorporated box breathing for the last two weeks in my meditation routine. And it's, um, nice. I, I didn't, I didn't hear the tip about the gratitude. I do gratitude outside of that, but I think I'm going to incorporate it as well. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a really awesome tip. I can't explain uh, or, or emphasize enough how much of a game changer box breathing is. One, besides the gratitude piece, that's more of a layered or stacked practice. But one is it teaches you to downregulate your nervous system through this daily practice to the point where you can bleed off all the stress that had been built up in your life. Everything will come back into balance just because you're physiologically dumping 
all that stress because every inhale through the nostrils, you're massaging that vagus nerve you're, with your diaphragm and you're triggering the parasympathetic rest and digest response. And so you stay in that calm and, wow. you're, and you're slowing down your brain waves and you're detoxifying your body and mind. Now, that begins to, or that gives you the capacity to sit without the agitation, without the constant monkey mind flighting all over the place. Then the second things that box breathing does is because there is a pattern to it, you have to concentrate on the pattern or else, you know, you just get lost. So it turns out to be a way to develop concentration power. I call it double barrel power and unbill mind. Breath control and concentration go hand in hand. Hmm. So and the yogis taught that concentration precedes meditation because if you can't concentrate, then how can you, how can you possibly concentrate on meditation? But so first we learn to concentrate on one thing and then we turn that concentration inward through the observer to the witnessing self. And then from the witnessing self, we practice mindfulness, which means you're, you're just observing what's arising, but you're not identified with, with what's arising. And the metaphor mm -hmm. that is often used, which I love is that you become the ocean as the observer where your thoughts and emotions are like the waves that arise out of the ocean. Sure. And, and that's the thing about that being one of the tactics. And again, kind of the first step within your unbeatable mind framework is like this physiological release to dump the stress to really kind of feed your body to be in a certain way. And, and I think that relates a little bit to the concept of decision-making and how everything, all choices, all decisions start in your mind and then they become right. expressed into your, your external environment. And, and that's kind of what right. this whole philosophy does. It prepares your mind. That is mental toughness in a nutshell is it, it all prepares your mind to overcome the challenges that you experience, but you've already won in your mind before you ever have to that's do right. it in the real world, which, which is incredible. The other piece of what you just said. So Every choice, everything starts with a thought and then it's expressed externally, but it's also expressed internally and then absorbed and mm, affirmationally. Who you are. Yeah, affirmationally and becomes who you mm. are, becomes your subconscious beliefs and patterns. And this is how, you know, at an early age before we become aware of these things, you know, we end up with all of these patterns that are basically our parents' patterns or, you know, the culture of our youth, you know, the area we were brought up and the people we interacted with and the, the stories and the memes. And, and then of course, all that stuff handed down, you, you know, and life unexamined is not worth living, said Socrates. And you begin to examine these stories and you recognize them for what they are. And then you can start to deconstruct them. But if you don't, recognize that a thought is both externally expressed and internally absorbed uh, to become, you know, in this constant state of becoming, mm -hmm. right? Then, you know, you can't do, you can't transform one without the other because it becomes incomplete because you might, it's like creating a new habit. If you just try it externally, but you don't change the internal belief. I'll give a good example of this. I have a client named Eric, what a great guy, but you know, for his whole life, he's seen himself as a fat guy. He started working with me with SealFit years ago and what a, like, it took such courage because he, when he entered in, he was over 300 pounds and wow. he did a SealFit three-day academy with me and he loved it. He was terrified, but he loved it. And now like four or five years later, the guy is down to, let's say 220 pounds and he trains like a madman, but he can't shed the last, you know, he, he should be about 185, 100, but he can't shed it. Hmm. And uh, I was on a hike with him at a retreat that we were doing. 
and I, you know, I just stopped in the hike, let everyone else go on. And I said, Eric, let, let's chat. I said, I, you know, I know why you can't shed the last 40 pounds. And he goes, I try and everything. I work out four or five hours a day. I don't eat that. You know, I said, it's because you still see yourself as a fat guy deep in your subconscious programming. So until you can change that, you're never going to lose the rest of this weight. Yeah. And so, cause he's got a lifetime of training, inadvertent training. It wasn't deliberate, but inadvertent, you know, and if, if you're not deliberately training yourself, then the world's training you. Mm-hmm. And so that means the, if the world's negative, it's training you to be negative. So watch out. Right. You got to fight back, right? It's the wolf of fear, the wolf of courage. That's exactly That's right. right. Yeah. Either you take yeah. control of what you feed or your default state is going to feed the, the wolf of fear. That's that's super interesting. And I'm, I'm glad you made that point because I teach a lot about behavior change. And that's exactly what I teach too, is this idea that you need the change to exist at your subconscious level and within your belief systems. And I love the analogy or kind of the visual at least of you do an action or you make a choice and you've created that choice internally, then it's expressed externally. So it interfaces with the environment, but then that also mm-hmm. validates you internally. And that is what feeds your brain to, to really determine what you believe to be true about yourself, what you believe to be true about the environment. So I, I like that it doesn't just shoot off one direction. It shoots off out and it shoots off in. And I, I never really right. realized that. I always knew it was true, but I, I love thinking about the, like the branching it, pattern of that. It works in the other way too, where you work through imagery or something like EMDR yes. on internal and then watch it get expressed externally through yes. different behaviors and when you when you do both that's the that's where true transformation gets accelerated wow that makes a lot of sense yeah because this is this like it's a two-way street you know it's a channel and these right. two different areas of your life are communicating so if you right. oh you know if you over express in one then it leaks into the other and kind of that's the internal external relationship of how it all can right. contribute holistically it's and amazing. then you know the more spiritually aligned you get you recognize that there really is no differentiation or separation between the internal and the external yeah it's all your mind right yeah so what's outside of you is really inside of you and what's inside of you is really outside of you (laughs) and that that comes back to our human nature and how we're all connected with this world-centric approach is we all are the same and we all have access to all of it so it's it's abundant it's abundant there's only abundance it's incredible Mark, what a pleasure this has been. Thank you so much for making the time today. I certainly learned something and uh, we have so much more to connect on. So let's do it again soon. Thank you, Brian. Hoo-yah. Not exactly what you'd expect from a Navy SEAL, huh? That was Commander Mark Devine and his aura goes far beyond his time in the military. He pairs doing 300 burpees a day in support of his charity, The Courage Foundation, with daily Zen and Buddhist practices and truly offers a -a one-of-a-kind perspective. We talked about leadership and how its traditional academic definition doesn't do it justice, and that leadership is something that is present in anything that involves more than yourself. He encourages you to be vulnerable and authentic to best align your team to accomplish a task. Then we took that idea through the lens of being a world-centric leader challenging you to see everyone, no matter their background, as the same as you, because we all share the same nature, and in doing so, cultivate inclusiveness. We talked about the battle in our bodies we're always experiencing between the fear wolf and the courage wolf, and how we can starve fear and feed courage, which evolved into a conversation about box breathing practices and visualization. 
I'll be reading Mark's book, Unbeatable Mind, shortly. And if you want to learn more about his thoughts and observations about the world, I highly recommend you listen to the Unbeatable Mind podcast. The tips will keep on coming. You just need to keep showing up for yourself. Let's do it again tomorrow. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already to prove to yourself that your self-growth matters and you're taking it seriously. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on Self-Improvement Daily.